journey into the Bible and explore its hidden text and rich wisdom. Join Adol Kazilski Mondays at 1 p.m. for the trip of a lifetime. Shabuot Tov, Shabuot Tov, and uh, welcome to 101.9 High FM, and this is Adel Kozulski. I'm going to be joining you and learning Torah as I love to do on a Monday. Hope you do too. We are learning the book of Exodus, and we're coming to a rather exciting part now, and that is just prior to the Exodus from Egypt, just prior to redemption, um, the Jews probably do the hardest thing um, that is expected of them, and quite honestly, I see a tremendous amount of um, parallel today. There's a lot of talk today that we are at the throes of the end of days, and that we are actually going through pretty pretty violent active labor. And uh, you know, you kind of like have to ask yourself, what is it that that God is wanting from us? And I think that we will be able to glean um, somewhat, some inspiration today from what happened in the time of the Exodus. Just to give context, um, the Egyptians have gone through nine plagues and uh, they're waiting for the redemption now because the last plague is the sign, is the, is the, the, the signal that they are going to finally, finally come out of Egypt and become free people. So what we're going to do today is we're going to learn chapter 12, that's Perik Yud Bet, and we're going to be on Pasuk Gimel, which is verse 3. Last year we had, last week we had a whole discussion about the lunar calendar and how we actually revolve around the moon and the very first mitzvah in the Torah, which is for us to proclaim a new moon every single month. If you ever want to go back and listen to those podcasts, please go to the 101.9 Chai FM uh, website. Just go chaifm.com and you can find historical podcasts there. So let's get into it and let's start understanding what is it that God is teaching us. Dabru El Kol Adat Yisrael. Speak to the entire community of Israel. Laymore saying, on the tenth of this month, the ish say each man should take a lamb for his family, a lamb for every household. So, as always, the reason why I do read it in, in the Hebrew and why it is so important to, to learn the Bible in its Hebrew format is that the actual diktuk, the grammar. Um, of the words teaches us a tremendous amount which we don't really, really get in the English translation. For example, Dabru El Kol Adat Yisrael is, the translation is speak to the entire community of Israel, which isn't incorrect, it's correct. But it's not saying who must speak and how many people are speaking. But if we look at the word Dabru, which is um, the plural of um, to speak, we understand that God is still speaking to Moshe and Aharon. And when is he speaking? He's speaking on the first of Nisan. He's speaking on the first day of the month, right after the mitzvah of proclaiming the new month. And what he is saying is that each, each Israelite family must acquire a lamb for the Pesach, 
um, offering, which will um, happen round about the 10th of Nisan. And it, w- it won't be good enough for the lamb to be purchased on the day that it needs to be sacrificed. This, this would be fine and we will see later this will be fine moving on. Um, when we bring a Paschal lamb as an offering every single year, but on this, the first Pesach, um, we had to get it to, um, four days before. So again, just going back to the beginning, Dabru is in the plural, and um, what we're understanding is both Moshe and Aharon. Um, are speaking. In fact, we are told over here in the Midrash that after God would give Moshe instructions, he would stand in front of the entire leadership of Israel. Aaron, his brother, would be to his right. Aaron's son, Elazar, would stand to Moshe's left. Elazar would eventually become the Kohen Gadol, the high priest. And Aaron, um, and, and Aaron's other son, Itamar, would stand on Aaron's right. So there were four of them. And there would be uh, um, many instances where it would seem as if the voice speaking to them came from absolutely all of them. Now, why? And this is a very, very interesting um, idea and something that we need to um, we need to take into into account over here is that. The Midrash is telling us that the voice that emanated from Moshe and Aaron sounded like they were all speaking in unison. And I think this is a very, very important lesson today, that the Jewish world needs to speak in unison. We need to have one voice. We need to be all on the same page in terms of the way we lead the Jewish people forward. Internally, we can have our squabbles and our arguments and, you know, we, as the joke goes, whenever you have three Jews, you will have about 20 opinions. But nevertheless, at the end of the day, um, our opinions, while we might see and believe that we have different opinions, the bottom line is is that if we don't have an absolute reality, if we don't have a moral compass, if we don't have something that is outside of ourselves telling us what to do, then any argument that anybody can bring will be an argument that is valid because it's subjective. And that is the problem with this world. If I if I look at the world and I see black and I will motivate that it's black and you see the world as white and you go on about it being white, then my opinion is my opinion, your opinion is your opinion, and the tricks will not ever, ever join. What what Judaism teaches is that in order for society to function, there has to be an objective third voice, a moral voice, something that where both the person who sees the black and the person that sees the white is able to look at and understand. And this is really what this verse is teaching us. When when Moshe and Aaron spoke to the Jewish people, they were speaking in unison. They might be holding different ways and different things, but if it's the word of God, then that's what sticks. It's the word of God. And this is something so sorely missing in our society today. Tell me if you agree or disagree. The SMS line is 34519. Our telegram number is 061-895-1019. This is 101.9 High FM. High FM, your station of choice since 2008.
We are going to continue with chapter 12, verse 4, and here is the midst of the first thing that we early learned in the first verse, chapter uh, verse 3, was that each household would have to get a lamb. Let's see what happens. What more it says. If a household is too small to eat a lamb, then he and his next door neighbors can share the lamb in proportion to the number of individuals. And accordingly to how much each one eats, the cost of the lamb will be shared. Now, the first thing again, we see the words ve'im, if. And the word here indicates, if is indicated here, because this wasn't a preferable situation. It was better for an entire family to come together for Pesach. So if a man was wealthy, what he should do is invite his poor relatives to enjoy the festival with him. Um simply because if he's relative you shouldn't be ignoring them right if the household if the house was too small to hold all his relatives then he must send them the wherewithal with which to celebrate the holiday completely so what god was not wanting is that one person would be able to fully enjoy the holiday while he had relatives that were suffering because of um poverty now what would happen if the guy didn't have 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 um, relatives. There was nobody else to 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 feed, and he still has to sacrifice a whole lamb. Well, then we are told that the leftover portion had to be completely burnt up. Um, so it was better to share with the next door neighbor, and each of the partners in the lamb would be able to share the cost according to how much each individual will eat. And that's that's how the how 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 it went. <clears throat> right, what type of lamb are we getting? Let's look at verse 5. You must have a flawless lamb. It must be one year old, up to one year old, and you can take it from the sheep or from the goats. Right, so whenever we see um, Corbonus, whenever we, we're talking about sacrifices, one of the things that we see is the animal must be flawless. It can't, it can't have even the slightest blemish. And it must be a male that is born that year. Only then is the animal valid for, for the Corbin Pesach, for the, for the Paschal sacrifice. Now, you can see here, um, the word is Zachar ben Shana, which is literally the son of a year which indicates that one was allowed to use a male lamb that was born within that year. If it was literally a year old, then the word would have been ben shanato, which means they had to be exactly one years old. And obviously, God couldn't have done that because if he made it exactly one years old, it would have been very, very difficult. We would have had... A lot of scarcity around because, uh, how can you go time? If you, if you know you have to have it by the 10th of the month and then on the 10th of the month there's only 50 lambs that are born and by the way, that you couldn't use it when it was completely born and completely thing. It had to be at least 30 days old 
um, sorry, a lie. Um, for, for the Pesach, for the Paschal sacrifice, it was eight days old. Why am I saying 30 days old? Because that's the rule of all other sacrifices. If you're going to sacrifice an animal, it has to be more than 30 days old. But with a Pesach sacrifice, it had to be more than eight days old, less than a year. So in giving that gap, for, for every, that allowed everybody to manage to secure for themselves a lamb. Now, why take a lamb? Well, firstly, um, from, from a Jewish point of view, um, the lamb was there because there were, there were, um, certain, uh, what should we call certain, uh, metaphors or ideas as to why we would, we, we would use the lamb. Firstly, the lamb reminds us of the sacrifice, um, or the merit of the sacrifice of the binding of Isaac. Okay, that was that was number one. That was to waken up in God, to remember Him that there was a point in time where our forefather Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son, but instead sacrificed a lamb. The second is a more, I think, a, a more profound one, in that what was really happening was that the Jews were finally coming to the point of denouncing any type of idol worship. Now, what do we mean by that? What we mean is that, albeit that there had been, or they, 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 what, what they, they had gone through, nine plagues, and they had seen the hand of God, so much so that even the Egyptians and the magicians in particular, who were very against, very virulent against Moshe in the beginning, the majority of Egypt had come to realize that this Moses and his God were much, much more powerful than them and that they had to throw away their preconceived ideas and align themselves back with a godly reality. Now, taking in a sheep, okay, um, was a very, very courageous act that was needed um, on behalf of the Jews, certainly, because the lamb was a deity for the Egyptians. They had a festival every single year. They prayed to it. They sacrificed to it. It was really very much center of their idol-worshipping society. By taking in a lamb, and what we're going to see now, um, what they had to do with it, what the Jews were doing was twofold. Number one, for themselves, they had to divest, they had to remove, they had to cleanse their minds of any idol worship. Now, what better way to do that by taking the very thing that they know um, their enemy um, believes in and taking it into a house, and as we know, it will stay there for four days and eventually get slaughtered. That number one, antagonized and made the Egyptians go haywire. There were riots, there were protests, there were marches, there were screaming, there were shouting on the outside. The Jews had to have tremendous amount of courage to withstand the pressure of the Egyptians. But it was much deeper than that. 
It was also about the fact that the Jews themselves had to slaughter themselves, any concepts that they had, that they might still be believing that there is truth to the Egyptian culture. Now, when you think about it on a practical level, like you think about it and go, oh, come on, grow up, like, obviously, you know, a lamb being a god, obviously, don't be so pathetic. But in truth, if we had to um, take the circumstances that the Jews found themselves in Egypt and extrapolate to where we find ourselves today in 2023, and we're saying Mashiach is coming, the Messiah is coming, you need to align yourself with a moral, healthy, um, absolute code and live by the way God wants you to. Well, you're going to... You're going to feel two forces. One, you're going to have the outside world that is going to rampage, march, scream, shout, and tell you, you're crazy, you're mad, you're wrong, because that's what the rest of the world believes in. They don't believe in a God. They don't believe in absolute morality. They don't subscribe to the majority, to the seven um, mitzvot b'nei noach, the seven mitzvahs that are given to the Gentile world. You're going to have the whole world screaming at you that what you're doing is wrong. And then you're going to have an even more difficult time yourself, convincing yourself that you actually need to let go of what society is dictating to you. And I believe that today, this is very much where we're at. Today, what we're seeing is we've seen the most unimaginable horror, barbarity, cruelty, inhumane behavior um, and this is kind of like the world screaming that they want to run amok they want to do what they want to do they don't believe in a God because anybody who would believe in a God certainly <laughs> true God who we call our father and our king no father or king wants or will command others to go and kill rape, burn, amputate and act like, like absolute animals um, in a world. That is a degradation of God's humanity and God's essence that each and every one of us carry. So we have the outside world screaming and shouting that we can't go and believe in a, in, in a, in a moral code. Um, for us, this is morality. There are so many people that are believing um, in, in this right now and rampaging without even actually thinking about things properly. And then on the converse, we have the internal struggle of the Jewish nation who for so long has tried so hard to navigate the world, navigate the demands of the world, navigate to other people's morality and forget that in truth, a Jew's only morality is something that is subscribed by God and nobody else. And so we're going through the same situation right now. And this is why uh, we are told that the animal cannot be blemished. Blemished conceptually means that the idea that God is one, that he is infinite, that he is the master of the world, that he runs the world, that there is good and evil, all of these things cannot be blemished in our minds. We cannot go find excuses on how we think we can 
morally navigate this world from our own from our own intellect. It has to be unblemished, unblemished, and so the the carbon pesach had to be an unblemished animal. Which, by the way, in any event, all animals that were brought as sacrifices were unblemished. But that is a discussion, um, even and like it's just it's actually not part of this discussion right now. But it can, but it can be a full blown discussion. Let's carry on verse six and let's carry on seeing the um, the train of thought and what the Jews were doing in Egypt and how it pertains to us today. So you would have to take it in on the 10th day, right? And you'll keep it in safekeeping until the 14th day of the month. And what will happen on the 14th day of the month? The entire community of Israel will slaughter their lambs towards evening. Now, in in uh, Torah viewpoint, there are a few parts to the day. The first part is what we have, what we call Boker. Um, so the third part of the day um, from 10 a.m. Uh, until 10 a.m. is considered Boker morning. Interesting, Toharaim is then the next two hours from the 10th, from 10 o'clock in the morning to 12 o'clock is Toharaim. Um, which is loosely translated as afternoon, but it's really the high noon. It's a, a better translation. Tohar comes from a word that we see um, much earlier in the Bible when it comes to Moses, not to Moses, to Noah. When Noah went into the Teva, into the ark, he was com- commanded to make a Tohar, which is, which is loosely translated as a skylight for the ark, okay? And what would happen is it kind of was like a skylight. It was a, 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 a precious stone that caught the rays of the light and brought, uh, brought that light into the ark. So Tzoharayim is really high noon. Okay? And then we have the concept of, of Erev, which is the night time after the stars have come up. Um, so what is Bain Ha'arbaim? Bain Ha'arbaim is actually that time, um, which really Arbaim comes from Erev, like basically between the two evenings, which means it, it's immediately afternoon when the sun begins to start moving towards the western horizon. Um, and the second is when the sun actually sets. And that's called Bain Ha'arbaim. And so we understand that that was when the Paschal Lamb on the 14th of the month would have to be, would have to be, um, sacrificed. Interestingly, that 14th day of the month in the year that we went out of Egypt was a Thursday. The 10th was a Shabbos. And that is why we have the name Shabbos Hagadol or Shabbat Hagadol, the great Shabbos, which is, um, the Shabbos right before, um, Pesach. Now, not every single Jewish person um, that was there, certainly in Egypt and certainly even to this day, is qualified and knows how to ritually um, kill a, a, or slaughter a lamb. We are very, very strict to ensure that we cause absolutely no pain to the animal. Um, there are a lot, a lot of laws that go into checking the, the sharpness of the knife, 
how the animal is held, what 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 um, vein is cut, etc., etc. And so there were specialized slaughterers. There were specialized shochtim that would kill the sacrifices, and that's why it says the entire v'shachatu otol kol kahal beit Israel. Shachatu is in the plural. Um, they, the entire community, will slaughter it, indicating that each individual had to participate in the slaughtering of the animal, but he could make somebody else his aid, uh, his agent. Many, many, many times we have this concept where we can we can entitle or give over the ability for somebody else to act on our behalf. And one of these times is when maybe you can't stand blood or you don't know all the laws of shikita, which is ritual slaughter. So that's why there's a quite a long time being from the time from the from noon until six o'clock where they had the opportunity to get the shochtim to come in and slaughter the animals. If you have any questions or you have a comment, three four five one nine is our SMS line. Oh six one eight nine five one oh one nine is our telegram number. Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Right, let us continue verse 7 of chapter 12. So once they've slaughtered the animal, you will take from the blood. You'll place the blood on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the house in which they eat. Um, so the question really was, and um, there is an argument, where was the blood really placed? We know on the door, door, uh, door posts and the lintel, but it was it inside the house where the Egyptians outside would not be able to see it? Or later you will see, um, because it'll, it says it says later in verse 13, the blood shall be assigned for you in your homes where you remain. Okay, so it was for you, not for the people standing outside. But on the other hand, we said that the blood um, needed to be on the outside. And again, both opinions are true because if we carry on uh, following the train of thought that this entire act of taking this lamb, keeping it in its house for four days, being locked up with it for four days, had a dual purpose. One was to um, weather down, to, to bring down to their knees the Egyptians who believed that this lamb was a god and that it wasn't and that it could just easily be tied to a, a bed and killed four days later. So, guys, you're believing in the wrong things. And it was for the Jews to go through the process of understanding that they were about to sacrifice the very their, their own Western culture, whatever outside culture. Um, ideas that they had that they were going to sacrifice it. So I like said that the blood was on the outside. Well, then that's it was there to wear wear down the Egyptians. It was on the inside that was to wear down um, the, the the Jews. So basically, what was happening here is that uh, God wanted to demonstrate the powerlessness of the Egyptian gods. And they were all represented by, uh, by, by this concept of, of sheep. Now, also very interestingly, 
that uh, this entire story was happening between the 10th and the 14th of Nisan. And on the 15th of Nisan, the Egyptians also, interestingly, follow the lunar calendar. But when is their first day of the new month? On the 15th of the month, when the um, moon is at its top. So they were preparing themselves that month for the festival of the sheep. They would take the sheep down in massive parades. It was also a um, a ritual and a procession that had very much to do with the firstborns. Firstborns, uh, firstborn people were held in high esteem in Egypt, and when they um, had this festival of the sheep, it was the honor of the firstborns who were able to um, to to walk with it, right? And so. Yeah, there are four days, five days before this incredibly big, massive celebration. And the God, their gods are being tied to beds and ultimately, um, ultimately destroyed. Now, we can talk a little bit as to why it was important that the lamb, um, had to be a male. And the reason why was that for the Egyptians, early perfect male animals could be dedicated to the temples. If the animal was a female or it was flawed, the Egyptians wouldn't really pay too much attention. So God was very specific in saying it had to be a perfect male because he didn't want any excuse for them to say, well, yeah, they put in females. We didn't really have to worry about that too much. He gave them the very thing that would drive them completely insane. Okay? Um, another reason um, that that we had this entire thing is that th- we're told that anybody who commits adultery, I, I apologize, not adultery, idolatry, okay, is considered as having rebelled against God and defiled the four, na- the four letters of God's name. We know God's name, which we do not uh, pronounce, the Yud, the He, and the Baba, the He. So what were the four um, blemishes, the four sins that um, the Jews committed or the Egyptians committed? Number one, they demean God by believing in heathen idols. That's the first thing. The second is they offered sacrifices to these idols. The third is they bow down to these idols. And the fourth is that they ate the animal sacrifice to the idols. So that's why we had the four days. Because each and every single day, the Israelites would, was getting to know more and more well that they were endangering their lives by keeping it for four days, but in that process being cleansed. Of the idea they, they were rectifying their sin of defiling the four, ne- uh, four letters of God's name. Um, and so also we are told the reason why it was four days that they had to keep this Korban Pesach was because on the 10th of the month, the Jewish people were also um, commanded to circumcise themselves. And we are told that the first three days of the circumcision is very, very painful. 
So they circumcised themselves on the 11th, 12th, and 13th day and then would have enough strength on the 14th day to celebrate the Passover festival. Verse 8, You will eat the meat, the flesh of this sacrificed lamb on that night. It has to be roasted over fire. And you'll eat it with matzah. And you will eat it with bitter herbs. Now you will understand why so many thousands of years later, when we sit down at the Pesach table, we look at the Ka'ara, we look at the Seder plate, and we have a symbol of the Paschal Lamb. We eat it with matzah. We eat it with maror. Very, very important um, that there is a disparity. Most people think that we eat the matzah because we didn't have enough time to bake. Well, there was enough time to bake some matzah before we left. We will get to that question at some point in time. How, how come there is such a dichotomy? The most important thing about it was this. You cannot eat this paschal lamb raw, nor can it be cooked in water. It needs to only be roasted with its head on its knees and all its internal organs. In fact, if somebody ever tried to bring a paschal lamb and try to cook it in any other way but roasting it over an open fire, um, for us we just translate it as a braai on the spit, right? That's exactly. You couldn't put it in a pot. You couldn't put, boil it. You couldn't do anything. You would get the penalty of flogging if if you did that. And this is how we understand that today, because we don't have the Paschal Lamb, we are not allowed to have roasted meat on 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 the Seder. We have to park oil it, uh, cook it, or we have to pot roast it, or we have to have some type of liquid because we're not in the temple yet, and we're not allowed to mimic exactly how the um, Korban Pesach is. So we're doing the vice versa of what the Torah is saying here. When Mashiach comes, please God, and we're back to giving the, sacri- the, 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 the Pesach um, Korban, we will have to reverse our ways. This is 101.9 High FM. High FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Okay, finally, none of it can be left until the morning. And as we said, you'll have anything that is left over um, in the morning has to be, uh, has to be burnt. So, um, just like it says, the Midrash actually says, just as God said on the start, I will kill all firstborns of Egypt, not leaving even, over even one single in, individual. You too must not leave any of your Pesach, uh, Pesach lamb. I want to just bring one more thing. There's actually so much to discuss. I'm just touching the base of it. Why do we eat the Paschal lamb together with the matzah? And the maror, and one one reason given. There are many, many reasons, but God instructed us to eat it roasted over fire, um, to remind us that in fact Abraham was thrown into a fire, if you remember, by Nimrod, and he did, and he survived. So this is to elicit and remind God about Abraham. It's eating. We're told to eat it with matzahs to, rem- to remind ourselves of. 
um, Sarah really, the merit of Sarah, because she prepared matzahs for the visiting angels back there in Genesis chapter 18. And as a result of this hospitality, she was worthy of giving birth to Isaac. So we have something about Abraham and the result of something with Isaac. And finally, the bitter herbs recall the merit of Yaakov. Why? Because he remained faithful to God, even though he was constantly pursued by Esau, and he actually suffered a most bitter life. That's where we're going to leave it for now. I hope you um, learned something and enjoyed the, the lesson. This all was in the merit of our Tzvah Israel, our IDF, our brave soldiers who are fighting the evil and the idolatrous ideas of those um, around us. May they be protected. May they be successful. May all the hostages come home. And may we all be able to usher in a world where there is only goodness, kindness, love, morality, and each and every one of us to respect that we are, in fact, a reflection of God. Wishing you all well, and we'll see you back, same time, same place, next week. This is 101.9 High FM.